Welcome, everyone. This is the Virtually Church Podcast, a podcast dedicated to thinking more deeply about the differences and values between church and technology. I'm Taylor Mason, and I'm hosting this podcast alongside Jordan Mason and Jeremy Hall. Okay, so last week we talked with Ben Garrett from the Hatchery at Emory University, and he helped us navigate our conversation on innovation and keeping our values as a church. And now uh, we are recording this in the mid of July of 2020. The conversation that's really present right now is reopening uh, schools and churches. Um, Of course, we're talking about churches, but schools are also a big thing. And we thought we would spend some time talking about innovation going forward and how we as the church can hold on to important values as we innovate, as we move forward, whether it is um, staying kind of in our phase ones for a while, but changing it up, or if we're moving forward with reopening in different ways. But, you know, what do we do? How do we come up with creative ways while still holding on to these church values? Uh, One great way, in our opinion, is to build off of the theological concept of the incarnation. Thankfully, we have a wonderful theologian with us. Jordan's PhD study is not only in healthcare ethics, but it's also in theology. So she's going to guide us through this journey a little bit today on the idea of the incarnation. So first of all, Jordan, can you refresh us with a quick understanding of the incarnation as a theological concept? and then elaborate uh, more on it. Yes, thank you for that introduction. Um, Although I'd like to point out that you two are both also just as qualified to talk about the incarnation as pastors. (laughs) However, I will take this one. So the incarnation basically just means God became flesh, right? Incarnation, like God became incarnate. God who is divine and is holy and completely other than us became, uh, took on human form in our world and was born the same way that we are all born uh, through a woman. And our tradition affirmed pretty early on that Jesus was not man or God, but fully man and fully God. So 100% man, 100% God. And this is a mystery that's at the heart of our faith. It's not something that is completely rationally uh, doesn't make a ton of sense. And yet that is something that pretty early on the church fathers and mothers said, this is, this is who Jesus is. So pre pandemic, before all of this started and before we decided to start the podcast, how did our churches live out the incarnational values? Um, Jeremy, do you want to take a crack at that? Ben pointed out saying really good last week that a lot of the things that we think are big, important theological things that we do Uh, Most people just think are things churches do. Um, So whether people knew that we were trying to push them into incarnational spaces and experiences is a little up for for discussion. But uh, from the very basics, like meeting in a space together and sacrificing of time and comfort to be in space together as fleshed out things as uh, not angels and not animals, but some sort of spirit that lives in some kind of carne, in some kind of meat suit. Uh, We, just as being a community of nefesh, of 
beings with little bits of eternity put inside of them uh, were being incarnated. We gathered, we sang, we physically shared space and shared time together. But it also, a lot of times we get stuck in the building of the church when we think about these things. But the way that we engage as church, the, the big C, the big idea as Christians in community is also about incarnation. That The church doesn't just say things, but it does things. The church mm. shows up in history, in reality, not just as theoretical, but as practical, as real, mm-hmm. as the spirit of God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the Christian's life forces the Christian into the world as a full person. Um, and so when we show up for each other in very basic ways, or, or when we show up for each other in times of need um, to show care, to sit with, to look after each other's children, or when we show up for our community as the prophetic voice of God to call out injustice and malpractice in how our society is run, we are doing incarnation. Whenever we use our physical person, our presence to do ministry, it's incarnational. Because the the idea is that one, the way that God showed love and care for the world was through the incarnation, was through Jesus becoming flesh, human being, in a specific place and time in history and living and interacting with people physically in the world. It wasn't God acting from a farther away spiritual sense, but God was becoming flesh and embodying what it meant to bring about the kingdom of God. Um, And through that, we as disciples, we as the church community, um, are holding on to and trying to emulate that type of love and care. Right, right, Jordan? Yeah, so um, I just want to go back and say a couple more things about the incarnation theologically that come to bear on this. And one thing is that when God became flesh in Jesus, something fundamentally changed about the universe, right? So before, you know, it might be possible to say that the divine and the human were separate realms or they were opposed in some way, or there's some sort of like, um, there's a relationship of difference between God, divine and humans and flesh. And then Jesus comes in, combines both into one being, one existence, mm-hmm. divine and human in one existence, uh, divine and human are no longer opposed. Um, And so I think that we can see through Jesus that the human flesh and God's spirit um, can be united, right? And so, like, for instance, um, St. Maximus in, like, I think he's, like, in the 300s, he said that the incarnation rendered God man and man God, right? So there's this divination that happens uh, through the incarnation where we can become, like, God because God became like us. And um, I think this is important for the church going forward because it causes the church to realize that our uh, brokenness, like our physical um, finitude and our creatureliness are not 
like problems to overcome, but rather are the gateway to um, being more like Christ. And that Jesus isn't embarrassed of them. The, the experience of the incarnation is not this like, Ugh, yuck, I, I will go because I love you, but I don't want to. Uh, Jesus doesn't yeah. surrender the humanity. God does not give up the hyperstatic union post mm. the story that we see in the Bible, but we continue to have this connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think for a certain... Uh, group of Protestants, we'll say, or at least, you know, from the traditional evangelical tradition that I grew up in to a degree, you have this um, narrative, not as much where I grew up, but I know in general, like there's a narrative of the flesh and the humanness is like bad. And you want to, you know, we use the words like get rid of or don't be tempted by the flesh or things of the flesh, meaning like things of human desires instead of God desires. Um, And I think that uh, glosses over what we're kind of working towards in this episode of there actually is something divine and holy about the body, about the human flesh because of the incarnation. And uh, I think focusing on sin and focusing on all of the brokenness and the problems that we all do in our lives all the time has kind of glossed over this deeper, like this really deep long held idea of the incarnation and why it's important for us as enfleshed humans. Right. Anytime you say the word, the flesh, you need to add like a, a low growly, the flesh to it, because that that's the way that it's that, that phrase has come to mean something other than flesh. When we theologically say the flesh, we're not just talking about skin and muscle and bone, not just talking about the experience of being human, but the term has come to talk about sort of the broken nature of what it means to exist Mm -hmm. in a fallen cosmos and we can, of course, thank Paul for that. But we, it's because of the way that our language works, there's been this conflation that Paul and Plato don't always play well together. But when they're forced to share language, we get confused. Yeah. And then you add that with the, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, of a large emphasis in the Protestant church on transfer of information so what it means to be a christian is you learn about jesus you accept jesus into your heart and you're you're saved and when you die you leave your broken body and part of your spirit is in heaven or is um you know glorified in that but a a large emphasis in what it means to be the church and the tradition of worship is um you know information in a transactional way less so for probably catholics or episcopalians or um more of the liturgical traditions um so i i think that's important to note maybe but also not because i mean the story of jesus and of christianity was passed down you know, it's it's a story, it's information. So there That's is true. partially it is, and there's not anything wrong with seeing it that way in part, right? 
that like we pass along the truth of the gospel to the next generation. Um, and yet, you know, when it becomes just information, then certainly there is something incarnational that's lost. About right. You've moved into Gnosticism. If it's only about the information, if the knowing mm-hmm. um, becomes the key, if the secret is in knowing the story, then you've reduced it to information. But the experience of this handed down church, the experience of the tradition, we, we might could call it something like apostolic reality or experience. It has to be lived or it doesn't happen. It, mm. I was talking to someone, oh, check this out. I was talking to someone on TikTok um, about baptism. You talk on TikTok? I thought it was just videos. I don't know anything. Oh, about. no. I, I am a TikTok pastor. I, I'm even, I've been invited to a Facebook of all the coolest Facebook pastors. It's pretty Ooh. exclusive. I'm, I'm kind uh, of a do big you have deal. A, do you have a TikTok like, handle that people can follow you at? Yes. Oh, I am Pastor <laughs> Jeremy Kennesaw. So Whoa. go and follow okay. me. I sing, I dance, I talk about theology. It's wonderful. But, okay, so I was talking to someone about baptism, and they were asking if, and they're like, I don't understand what's going on with the whole baptism thing. And I, I was saying that it's, it is participation in the story. In yeah. the church's rituals, we frequently reenact what Jesus has done to partner in the story so we become part of the story so that there is information that is vital you should know about jesus i'm a preacher i want you to know about jesus but i also want you to encounter jesus and to live like jesus Mm, yeah and so if it's Mm -hmm. if you take the story and it's only information it's a nice story uh but if it's this shared reality experienced over time through community. It becomes this incarnated reality that we step into. We live in and by the story. So with that, I I, I go, oh, this is this is this is great. Like let's let's do it. Let's embody, let's let's get back, let's see people face to face but we are currently in the middle of a pandemic that if you um that is continuing to go on and it's you know people are worried about the safety now of their kids going back to school Mm. a lot of church members are worried about their safety because they're at high risk uh, and what this could mean how do we hold this idea with the need to care for and protect bodies and and church members right jesus's ministry was largely was was focused on healing bodies jesus went around finding people that were broken and healing them uh spiritually and physically if we're going to simply just jump back in uh to being in person and live incarnationally by physically meeting together wouldn't that go against the idea of jesus protecting bodies in a way um, I think for me, that's been a tension that I've been thinking about and holding where, um, you know, we as a podcast are talking about the importance of the incarnation, but at the same time, how do we protect and care for and make ethical decisions for our um, church members? Yeah, Jordan's the, the bioethicist, so we'll hand it over to her, <laughs> right? But if you think back to our kingdom episode and we had a, uh, David Gushy talking with us about 
the marks and the values of the kingdom. One of them is healing. And so mm. if we are hurting, we're we're not. <laughs> if what we are yeah. doing is actively hurting someone, it's not the kingdom. Yeah. yeah. And this is where I think I want to challenge people to think a little bit more um, creatively or outside the box about this, because I think we can get stuck in saying, oh, it's either in person and we're being incarnational or it's not in person and we're not being incarnational. We're over Zoom, we're, we're uh, disembodied and either, you know, depending on the way that you weigh those values, you might say, it's better to be not incarnational for a while and to be over Zoom and protect people's health. Or you might say, no, the value of the incarnation is so great that we cannot ever um, let it go for, you know, for the sake of people's health. And I just want to say, like, what if being incarnational could encompass both of those options? What if being uh, over Zoom for a while could also be an incarnational value where we're taking people's health to be um, uh, important. Like it's part of our kingdom values, right? So what if that is an incarnational value to keep people's health um, safeguarded? And if so, if if both of those are incarnational options, um, maybe we can choose between them with less angst. I don't know, with a, a little bit of a clearer head. Well, it and it all comes down to uh, our idea of this podcast of what are your values as a church community and remembering that technology that we use has its own set of values, efficiency, efficacy, and so on. How can we partner with, do the both and, with things like Zoom, YouTube, uh, TikTok, whatever it might be, um, even letters, writing letters is a form of technology. If you're confused about that, go see episode with Jeff Bishop. Um, but how do we make sure that we are innovative and creative in ways where we don't lose the incarnation, Yeah. where we don't lose other values? Yeah. I think the important question maybe to start asking is how do we bring our, how do we use our technologies to bring our bodies along in these church activities, whether that is over Zoom or in person, uh, recognizing that we are incarnational creatures. And if we, you know, as Christians, we just believe that that's like the heart of the universe now because Jesus came, something fundamentally changed. Like we can't undo that by being over Zoom. You know, I don't think that we're in danger of undoing the incarnation here. So what if the question is more like, how do we live into, you know, the fact that we are technological creatures? How do we use our technologies to bring our bodies along? Well, don't you have a really cool quote that kind of helps us answer that question? <laughs> that was a good like little segue into that, wasn't it? I do have a quote. I don't know how well it fits right here, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> Does this not does this not fit right here? I don't know. I think okay. it does. I Let's, think it. Jeremy, I think it fits you can perfectly. tell us. All right, you, you're gonna edit this anyways. Read it, and if we don't like it, we'll just take it out. Okay. So Rumi, who is not a Christian, but hang with me. Rumi said, "You are not a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop." And I, the reason that I like that 
is because to me, it kind of speaks to um, a way of seeing church as you're not just a member of the church, but you're the entire church in you, like you are the church. And so maybe there's a way to think of, you know, our ecclesiology, our study of the church being relational in such a way that wherever we are, even if we're by ourselves, the church is carried along in us and with us, um, incarnate, if you will, wow. in us. Yeah. I think about that. I like that idea. I think, I think that's a new idea. It's almost a new idea for me too. thinking about how I, well, what I would say is I think it's empowering as a church member, right? Uh, when I'm at home and I'm worshiping, it can feel, if I'm all by myself, it can feel really lonely, right? I'm not around people. But you do not have a but, deficit of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And also my, the church lives within me, all, all of the things that have been a part of me, what I've been connecting to with my community and however it may be. And because of that, the, I am the church, like I am a part of that. And this kind of pairs with, you know, the church, you know, the classic thing that people are saying, the church is not the building. And this is reminding us of the incarnation. The church is a physical human connection of people together in ways that are bound by faith and belief and care and love for the world. And when times of despair or, um, times of loneliness set in uh, it's important to remember that part like my physical body is the church uh, it, it encompasses the church itself uh, and but I think it's important for us as pastors and as churches to find ways to emphasize to teach and to create practices that remind and embolden church members and people in our congregations i've been using in teaching both with adults and students right now um a lot of exile language a lot of exile passages the adult sunday school right now is doing esther um the youth group is studying the prophets um and the the next place I'll be going on Sunday mornings is the the thing I've been thinking about is the the Ezra Nehemiah rebuilding section um specifically I'm getting ahead of myself with this but specifically I'm thinking about a, as we look at a future with sort of hybrid worship in mind that mm-hmm. um I'm wanting to spend time with the passage where the new temple is constructed and the young rejoice and the old weep because it's nothing like what they expected um, but thinking about living in exile and having to take your religion, your traditions, your scriptures, your holy songs, your God with you into exile um, and to find ways to live there. The command to the exiles is not rebellion and it's not um, resignation. It's insurrection to to live victorious lives in this space regardless of the circumstance and so how do we carry the things that have always been of value with us 
into these new spaces without letting the spaces corrupt the mm-hmm. beauty of the things that we've brought. Yeah, mm-hmm. because the church is not the building, but the building is one of, has been for the Christian tradition, one of the most important technologies for community for experience right we've talked about how the stained glass itself can be a technology that's used to communicate and 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 guide people through the story of of our christian faith and it also like depending on the architecture it can emphasize how we experience worship and what's communicated to us in worship um i know in our at, at our church at Kirkwood Baptist, the pulpit's in the center of the stage, which is a technology in a way that's communicating. communicating something to the congregation, right? That this spa- this part is focal and important. But then there's other church traditions where the pulpit is to the side, right? And, and it's to the right or left hand of the worship space. And what's in the center is not the pulpit, but it's the the communion table it's Mm -hmm. the place where people come and that is communicating that's a form of technology communicating something Mm -hmm. and also you your baptist church has the baptistry right right? is that what it's called yes like way up high yeah in the back center like above your eye view uh, or eye line so like just emphasizing that like baptism is this important very important um, practice that we do. It's so important for us that we're called Baptists. And yeah. all of those technologies like influence our, not only our minds, but our bodies, right? The, if the baptistry is higher up, our body has to physically look up. And in that physical action of looking up, it is communicating and transforming mm-hmm. us to think something about the baptistry. And as we, you know, look from side to side depending on where things are in the church that our bodies are moving in a way that's trying to communicate and guide us in some way and i think for us as pastors and as ministers we kind of know that but sometimes it's it's lost a little bit on the congregation like we talked about last week with ben where Mm -hmm. we kind of know what's behind all this stuff but it's not and i think as we continue on this reopening process or we go down this pandemic and being innovative how do we, um, regardless of the, the, the medium of which we are communicating, how do we continue to hold on to those ways of moving the body through those communications? How can we use our technologies to continue to not only just have it come through our ears and in our minds, but also like reminding us that when we look up, it's communicating something. When we look down, it's communicating something. <clears throat> so... <laughs> How can we be innovative? This is this is my transition. Uh, how can we be innovative in our churches when being incarnational seems to mean two conflicting things? I think we've already talked about this a little bit, um, but I think it's important for us to to continue on this topic because there's going to be a lot of people listening and saying this is great, but now I'm just really confused and I don't know if we should reopen, if we should stay closed, should we meet on Zoom, should we not meet on Zoom? How do we do this? Yeah, so, I mean, I'd be interested to hear from you guys what your churches are doing intentionally to address this. Um, 
I, yeah, I think, I think it's interesting, like I said, to think of, you know, taking seriously our embodiment, um, and protecting the lives of our members. We, to have the flexibility to gather without being in person could be an incarnational commitment. And so how do you, um, yeah, how do you see your incarnational values playing out in the decisions that you're making in your churches? Jeremy, I think you have, your church is a little further along in the reopening process than my church. So do you, how about you start? Okay, well, we are in the early phases of a hybrid um, process. So on Sunday mornings right now, you could potentially worship in the building with us or through our live stream on Facebook. The And so just go ahead and assume, I'm not going to explain all the precautions, but know that it, the vast amount of our energy has gone into precautions and consultants, yeah. and it's been approved by doctors. Leave me alone. Um, wow. So you come in, yeah, uh, you're socially distant, but you're still, you're in a space together. Um, as weird as it is to be masked up and socially distant, that's that's the current reality for those who want to be in the space. But being in the space encourages that incarnational experience in that you feel like you're there, the music physically hits you, the vibration from the speakers and whatnot. And we talked about how our sanctuaries are structured. Uh, ours, th we're in sort of one of those uh, warehouse-style situations. The sanctuary is the middle of our building, uh, so there's mm -hmm. only one window in the sanctuary. And so think of it oh, as wow. a triangle the, if you're facing the platform, the triangle points up at the top where there is a window. Below it, there is a cross. Below it, there is the baptistry. Then on the platform, and this is all in a line, is the pulpit. Mm -hmm. And on the floor is the altar. So there's this straight line um, in front of you going up. And the whole light, everything about the structure with the window and the building and the angles is supposed to draw you up. Um and so we have people in the space that are experiencing nearness, that are experiencing um, hearing each other's voices, um, singing under masks, uh, singing <laughs> under masks, or hearing words proclaimed by their neighbor. Because our our Baptist service is weird. We say the Lord's Prayer. We have some responsive readings. We all read the benediction together and. That, that benediction, it, we've been doing the same one for 25 years, and it is loud and passionate, and it's, it is hitting in a new way. It's touching people to hear others say, even our recorded service that you were getting, we mm -hmm. pulled an old clip with a full sanctuary saying the benediction uh, to try to help you feel that. You feel it different when everyone around you says that we use a section from Ephesians 3, the exceedingly abundant beyond all that you could ask or think. That section, that's our benediction every week. Um, we say that together and then are thrown out into the mission field. Uh, but there are still those who are worshiping with us online. And so we've been very careful to think about our online experience is not a viewership experience. The screen, which is given to the Facebook Live, is not uh, just a video of what's happening on the stage. Uh, during mm. musical sections, 
it's not a close uh, close up shot of our worship leader or or the camera's not jumping to different band members like we might have done before to make it Mm. look like a music video or a concert. It's the lyrics to the song or it's a wide shot of the congregation singing it. Um, And then also for... And I think I've talked about how our philosophy of designing worship and worship leadership is very much about the congregation leading. Um, All of our, we always have our worship leadership done by laity. So folks emerge from the congregation and go to the same pulpit that the sermon is delivered for to pray or to deliver a meditation or to read scripture and so some of those pieces are being pre-recorded by okay. the folks that are not ready to return. You, And we're trying to find folks that we know are in more vulnerable categories. And they are sending us the video of last week, um, our moment where we slow down and we pause, which was taken from the online experience and brought into the real life. I'm putting big yeah. quotes around that experience where the whole service stops and we reflect to make sure that we're engaging and not just receiving. Um, that was led by, on video by someone that was worshiping at home. This week, our call to worship is coming from a couple that isn't uh, ready to return to physical in-person worship, but they're going to be opening the service for everyone. And so yeah. there'll be that connection that we're using the technology to try to remove the space, even in the live worship experience. Mm -hmm. So have you thought about ways that your congregation watching from home or participating from home might engage their bodies, right? Like how, how they might participate incarnationally in watching the service? Like, has that been a conversation? Like, are you adding elements of touch or sight or smell or um, or anything that's like physically participatory for your your congregation who's distant? Really, only for the children right now. Mm. Um, okay. There are there's a, a page on our website that is I update every week with activities to keep children engaged with what's going on that have all the senses. Uh, touched on and that engage multiple learning styles um, but we've the, my assumption right now is that those who watch at home don't stand to say the benediction and don't stand <laughs> right. to sing the songs yeah. but sit comfortably in their pajamas on their sofa like I was doing um, yeah. <laughs> until they made me come back to church and dress like an adult um, oh man I know it's a hard life uh but well, no, think, I've not so, figured out okay. how to do that yet. And I haven't given it my energy because the, the energy I've been favoring the in-person experience. Um, mm. That is a confession. Um, yeah. Well, and it's it's not wrong. Like you're not wrong to consider and focus on that. I mean, that obviously is a very important part of people you know they're wanting to come back because of a certain experience that they can't get at home right Mm -hmm. like they're like we've said before on this podcast there are things that we will lose if we're exclusively online things that are disabled 
by watching versus being there in person. Um, And yet I wonder, like Taylor and I were just brainstorming recently about what would it look like if we did like for our churches, like a whole month focused on one sense of like just touch and like people at home are like invited to participate through certain touch elements of things that they have in their house or um, like the senses are incorporated into that month. Mm. The sense of touch is incorporated into that month. Or what if there's a whole month focused on seeing and you had some icons that you put up on the screen or you um, encourage people to, to gaze at something in their home and, and pray. Yeah. Or we even uh, talked about the crazy idea of um, what if you safely brought most people back to the sanctuary space, but for our studies and our space, the idea of singing even with mask on right now isn't safe just because of the space that we have mm-hmm. or um, so what if we brought people in and this is a crazy idea and we haven't done this, but uh, what if we brought people in and for a whole month, we encourage people to come, but no one sings and we spend the worship service on prayer or listening to music or uh, having devotional questions or questions to think about and a sermon. And there's some quiet time in the midst of that, like, really rewriting the playbook of what a Sunday morning or what a worship experience could look like. Um, And then after a month, you know, we're all ready to sing. So let's send people back home safely and then start back the YouTube live worship service and incorporate singing more than we normally have and have people sing their hearts out like as loud as you want. Everybody takes home a hymnal. Here you go type thing. Yeah. You know, maybe it would work. Maybe it wouldn't, but the idea of, movement of the body, the idea of uh, incorporating different forms of worship and spiritual practices um, is something that's interesting and kind of goes along with last episodes with Ben of how to, how to be innovative in a way um, that's really outside of the box uh, versus how can we just be creative in implementing the same type of worship service we've always been doing, but now doing it half over Zoom and half in person or doing it all outside with the drive-through, the service itself is kind of the same um, and hasn't really changed or adapted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to make a, a note of uh, what I think, and I'm uh, I'm sure some people will dispute this, but what I think uh, not incarnational things, I don't know how to phrase that, what a church is doing that isn't to the value that I believe what incarnational is, Uh, From a listener, uh, someone wrote in, uh, Wendy wrote in and said, hey, I want you to check out what this church in Texas just did. Uh, We've been watching their worship service and they had a person from Oregon join the church and they've only lived in Oregon, but they've been watching the services online and they enjoyed it so much that they joined the church and they did a a church membership join online and said, thank you so much for joining. And we have a new church member that has, that lives in Oregon. Um, and I found that fascinating and I'm sure this will bring up some great debate on whether or not that's a good thing, but I would say, I don't, I don't know if that fits into the incarnational value. This, uh, we, you, the church has never met the person that has never been brought into the community to a degree 
and lives really far, you know, lives far away. I think there's a difference between someone that's been a part of that community then moves away, but still stays connected. Mm -hmm. I think Um, about uh, what Matt Vandergriff was saying, like, it's great that they want to worship with us, but who's going to be their pastor? Yeah. Who's going to show up when they experience trauma or loss or who will celebrate with them? Who will ritualize life changes or be there? Yeah. <laughs> Who's going to pastor this person? So, uh, so don't have any members join from another state. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> and now our list of five rules. Yeah. Well, it's so hard, right? Because you have to also recognize the good that can come of that. And And someone joined the church. Someone joined the church. Like, when is anyone going to be upset about that? Like, that's an exciting celebratory occasion. And yet, um, this is really unprecedented in people's ability to join a congregation that is so distant geographically and will remain so distant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think. In my church, we have a, an intending member, I think is what uh, ah, my pastor okay. ca- called them. But they live in our community. They just discovered us virtually, but are still a part of the geographical community. So they will return in person mm-hmm. when we do. And I think there's something very different about that. Um, but yeah, it's just hard because you want to acknowledge the, the great joy of someone joining your church community and yet also realize what is lost when they're not being pastored the same right. way or their, their yeah. bodily presence is not with you. I, so he, may I, I? Oh, go ahead, Jeremy. Thinking as a pastor, if that, so we've had people worshiping with us for, uh, and checking in, like I got an email last week. Hey, uh, great sermon, Pastor Jeremy. I, I really enjoyed it from France. I forget exactly <laughs> where he was, but it's a French city. And uh, that's really cool. If he sent an email and said, I want to become a member, I would say, amazing. And my answer would be a yes and, um, I think. Uh, I would, of course, let them tithe as much as they like, (laughs) always and forever. Uh, What I would want is to probably set up a Zoom call with this person and make a plan and commit to help them find a local community that could, I'm going to say the horrible cliche, do life with them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause there's something so valuable about that. Um, it's great that you found a church that one fits your theological beliefs and your social beliefs on things and, the sermon's great and you enjoy the music and it fits your worship style and all of that. And now I can just worship here every Sunday and be a part of the church from my couch. But there's something that's really uh, disabled when that happens, when that is created, where you don't have that community that is local that can care for you. I mean, I I think that's a, a good move, Jeremy, of like saying, how can we, Find a way to connect you to a community that um, that you can physically or incarnationally be a part of, right? Not just virtually online. And even yeah, if because- this was somehow the only or the best option, they're always going to be a second-class citizen in this community. Mm. Even if, if it's not explicit, like the relationship 
that people, if they joined a Zoom Sunday school class or a real Sunday school class where they were rolled in uh, as a television every week, <laughs> um, they would still be that one. They would never, mm-hmm. and you could still mute them. They yeah. would never yeah. have the same status in the community as someone who showed up when you were sick or who sat with you at a potluck or who's taught your kids in Sunday school. Yeah. And another thing that, that we've talked, Taylor and I have talked about is what if, um, you know, during the various phases of reopening, if some families were encouraged to be each other's COVID bubbles. So, or in each other's, I don't know what the right term is, but to slightly widen your circle so that you can participate in some of the virtual activities with another, with a small group of Mm -hmm. other church members and how different that might feel even physically, like to the human nervous system to have another human present changes something physically for us. So, you know, what would that look like as we start to reopen if small groups got together to even participate in zoom together Uh, this is just you know it's so hard this is very very difficult and i'm sure people listening either church members or ministers are you know this is this is uncharted territory for us all and you know depending on your congregation you're going to have different ways of going about reopening or doing this thing we don't have a prescribed way of doing it but we do really hope that this idea of embodiment and the incarnation is something that you bring along with you as you innovate as you incorporate technologies into the way of doing church and not forget about it because our whole central faith is surrounded on the incarnation is surrounded in jesus right it being flesh living on this earth and if we end up in the next year or two or however long this weird dynamic of virtual worldness becomes, if we lose sight of that, if we forget that value of the incarnation, we're, we're forgetting something that's critical to our faith as Christians. And so, but it's hard. If you have suggestions on how you are upholding and keeping the incarnation in your community, let us know. Uh, We would love to hear from you uh, some ideas because, you know, we don't always have the answers. So shoot us an email on virtually church uh, or send us a message on Facebook at virtually church. We'd love to hear from you. So I think now we need to pivot to our finding hope section. Uh, This is a, a moment where we bring a thing that we are seeing in the world or in our churches that gives us hope. Uh, Cause we are, I don't know, close to maybe 19 weeks in the midst of this. And I'm just getting more and more less hopeful sometimes. So I, I think more this and sec- more less hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I can't talk so more, more and more hopeful. less hopeful. So I like, I really do enjoy this section because it just reminds me that life goes on and there are places that uh, bring us hope. So Jeremy, how about you? Where are you finding hope in the world uh, right now? Okay, cool. So I was, I told y'all we have this hybrid situation mm-hmm. in our worship. There is in-person options and there are online options. Um, we've met in person three times now. 
And in all of those, someone that we've engaged with for the first time virtually has been present with us. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. The the system works. Uh, <laughs> the uh, people have not. I'm get, So here's a, a scary Baptist word. People have not backslidden in this season. Backslidden. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We've, the church has continued to reach people in this time of uncertainty, which is what it's supposed to do. We mm. successfully exist beyond our walls and our screens as people who are spreading a message of more life of hope and compassion and community and love and justice in a world that is lacking those. And it's Mm. Jesus is on the move. (laughs) I think uh, for me, I've been finding hope in educators. Um, I know right now the topic of opening schools and working with youth I'm always asking the question to my parents, hey, what are the schools saying? I would really hate to be an educator right now because they have to make some of the most difficult decisions, um, especially here in the city of St. Louis, the tension between keeping kids safe and also caring for kids slash feeding kids. In the city of St. Louis, the school programs do a huge, like a large amount of subsidies for lunches for kids to be able to be fed. And right now, when I'm listening to educators wrestle through this, regardless of the decision, for the most part, I hear people that genuinely want to do and care for, do the best and care for their kids that they oversee. And I know that there's a lot of tension on what decisions educators might make uh, on whether or not to go back to school. But from what I'm hearing in St. Louis, the people that are really thinking through this and are making the decisions deeply care for the students that are coming into their schools. And that's just really hopeful in the time where I feel like a lot of, I don't feel a lot of empathy and care from uh, leaders in our country and in our world right now. And when I hear that coming from educators where kids are entrusted, you know, eight hours a day for five days a week, uh, it's hopeful. So I hope that they come up with uh, decisions that are, um, caring for the whole person um, or, or the whole student as they embark on the next semester. But man, you know, I'm definitely praying for them and the decisions they're making. How yeah, about you, Jordan? Absolutely. Um, so this is a very bioethicist way to be finding hope, but um, <laughs> there's a new book out called The Lost Art of Dying by Lydia Dugdale. And I joined a little webinar or whatever online webinar uh, with her earlier this week and heard her talk about it. And it's really, really cool. Um, She talks about the Ars Moriendi, the art of dying, which was something in the late middle ages during uh, the black death, the plague um, that they, the church created these like educational images, art images to show people uh, how to die and it's just so fascinating. She's using these to like rediscover old wisdom about dying and how wow. to apply it in innovative new ways for us in the US. We've sort of lost the medicalization of death. We've sort of lost this art of dying. And so really cool book. I recommend it. 
It's hopeful. What? It's it's hopeful to me to think about dying as an art. What's the name of the book again, and who's it by? The Lost Art of Dying, Lydia Dugdale. Awesome. Well, Jeremy Jordan, it's great to see you again. Uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, talking with you. You too, Taylor. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and uh, thank you for listening. Uh, if you've enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe to our podcast that people find us on iTunes and on Spotify. So we could really appreciate and use your subscriptions and also uh, rate us on iTunes. Give us a star rating. Uh, if you want to leave a us five a star, not a our. star. Yeah. Five star. <laughs> well, you know what? At this point, I'll take any rating. <laughs> give uh, me a yeah, star a people. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook where we'll give you updates on the podcast, some extra resources and behind the scene content. If you have questions about the church and technology, let us know. Or if you have some ideas on how you're incorporating the incarnation, you can write your thoughts, questions, and concerns to our email address, virtuallychurch at gmail.com. That's virtuallychurch at gmail.com. Maybe next time we'll spend some time uh, answering your questions. Because guess what, guys? Next episode is our last episode. We said we were going to do eight episodes for this uh, podcast in next episode's number eight so if you have a burning question that you want to ask us or something you want us to address get it into us soon because next episode is our last one but if you are listening to this after our episodes have all been released our email address and our facebook will still be live and we would love to talk to you about questions thoughts and concerns so still feel free to write in also, one quick plug at the very end, if you want to know more about the reopening topic and how it's being talked about in the church world, I definitely encourage you to go back and listen to the Kingdom Ethics podcast with Jeremy, our, one of our hosts, and Dr. Gushy. He wrote a uh, opinion piece, uh, I guess just a week ago, and yep. it stirred up a lot of conversation and debate uh, about reopening churches. So if you want to hear more, Jeremy, uh, do you guys have a few episodes on that? Yeah, they'll be dropping in the next couple weeks. So if you're listening, uh, as this comes out, today is 7-17-2020. Uh, the next couple episodes will be dealing with questions about reopening, how we should think about that question, and how to disagree on the internet. Ooh, so go check that out. That's Kingdom Ethics Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else where you get your podcast. This has been great. Thank you once again for listening, and we will see you next week.